Church, we're going to be in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 3 today. If you want to open your Bibles there, 1 Corinthians chapter 3. And as you're making your way to 1 Corinthians chapter 3, let me ask you a question. How many of you have ever been part of a building project? Can I see your hand? You've been having some involvement. Oh, several of you involved in a building project. You know what a treat that is, don't you? Just to be involved in, and those who have been involved, you have that knowing chuckle. Yeah, I remember that. I remember back in uh, 1999, I was uh, overseeing a building project uh, for us at uh, what was then Calvary Chapel Menifee. And we were building our new sanctuary, and it was a big, ambitious project. And, uh, and so th- we'd been working with the architect, and uh, the day finally came where the plans were available. And so I ran down, I met with the architect, I picked up the plans, a big old fat set of plans, the blueprints. I was really excited about it. And uh, as I started to go through them, I just felt like something wasn't right. Something, something was missing. Something was off. And, uh, and I don't know what I based that on. I had no, there's really nothing that, that no knowledge no, that I should have possessed. Uh, but something was off. So I went and I, and I spoke to, uh, to my father-in-law. He's a uh, general contractor. And uh, so, you know, meeting with him saying, hey, you know, can you look at these plants? Can you go over it? Can you see what's going on? What's, what's the deal with, with these plants? Because I just feel like they're not right. And so, you know, my father-in-law starts going through the plans and, you know, he's been like for 50 years in the business, his partner, plus, 50 years plus, between the two of them, over 100 years of experience in, in the construction field. So I go and, I, and he's looking over it and he calls me the next day. He's like, you're right. These things are jacked up. Come over here. Let's go over. So we sit down. We're going through the plans. Well, we were building a two-story building. And, um, and so this two-story building uh, on the elevations, which is the first plan that you see on a set of plans, it's the exterior view, well, it showed that it was a two-story building. But then you get into it and you start going through the mechanical drawings and, and, and all that, and you realize pretty quickly there's no second floor in the building at all. No second floor whatsoever. I'm like, that's a problem right there because we're building a two-story building. There's no second floor in there. No footings, no structural support, uh, no, no nothing, man. None of, none of that in there. And so as, as I'm looking at this thing and as, you know, my father-in-law is like, hey, you got these problems. Well, we get a hold of the architect and uh, the architect says to us, well, yeah, you know, because you're building the building in phases, I, uh, you know, I, I left the second floor out because you're not building the second floor in the first phase. And my father-in-law says, yeah, that's a problem right there because, you know, the structural supports that are going to be required to build the second floor, I mean, we're talking footings the size of small cars that are needed. So what are you going to, you're going to build the, the first phase and then when it comes time to build the second phase, you're going to like bring a bulldozer in and destroy most of the building, digging out and putting new footings down for the new pillars and the, and the, the rafters and all. He's like, that, you, you have to build that infrastructure into the first phase in order to be able to do all the improvements in the second phase. Now, this is, you know, our, our well, <laughs> we hired him. We made him our construction manager at that point. I'm like, you're hired. You have the job. Uh, and, you know, he's correcting the architect. We're uncomfortable now, and I'm freaking out. And, and we came this close to just having a train wreck situation happen there and just narrowly averted disaster would have cost us hundreds of thousands of dollars. And, and, and in fact, you know, we probably would have had to 
tear down most of the church to go into subsequent phases. Moral of the story, when you build a church, you got to pay really close attention to the details, right? And I tell you that story as an introduction to our text because whereas last week Paul likened the church to a garden, this week he uses the metaphor of a building. We pick it up in verse 9, 1 Corinthians 3, 9. And Paul says this, For we are God's fellow workers, you are God's field, you are God's building. Verse 10, According to the grace of God which was given to me as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation and another builds on it, but let each one take heed, Paul says, how he builds on it. And as we get into it this morning, we're going to focus today on what goes into building a healthy church. We're not talking about the literal physical building. We're talking about metaphorically what goes in to building us as the body of Christ. What goes into us as building uh, the building of the church here. Um, it's, it's about the message Paul will, will teach today about systems and structures and how we're all supposed to fit in together into the structure, into the metaphorical building of the church. Um, the, the Bible says that God has set the members, each one fitted like stones into the church. Uh, he, he says he, he does that just as he pleases. That together we're the body of Christ and that we're members individually. And the point that Paul is going to make in our text today is that every good church needs the right components in the same way that every good building needs the right components, right? You've got to have the right architect, you've got to have the right foundation, you have to have the right materials, and you have to put it all together in such a way that at the end of the day, whatever it is that you build can pass inspection, right? This is, it stands, stands to reason. So if together, today, our hope is to enjoy a healthy church, then someone needs to think through these things. Uh, that metaphorically speaking, there's a competent architect in place engineering the building of us as a body of Christ, that we're using the right materials, building on the right foundation, ready for the inspection that is ultimately going to take place. And the first thing I want you guys to notice here in our text, in verse 9, is who owns the church? Paul says in verse 9, we are God's fellow workers, you are God's field, and you are God's building. The church belongs to God. It doesn't belong to the elders. It doesn't belong to the deacons. It doesn't belong to the denomination. Church doesn't belong to me as the pastor. It doesn't belong to you even as the congregation. The church belongs to God. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 16, verse 18, on this rock, the profession of faith in Christ, I will build my church. And the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. Now, the moment anybody has the bright idea that they're going to assert ownership over the church. The moment it enters somebody's heart or mind to say, this is my church, as opposed to, no, this church belongs to God. The moment they do that, then there becomes a very serious problem. Turn to uh, John chapter 10. John chapter 10, we're going to pick it up in uh, verse 1. Jesus speaking here, and he says, Most assuredly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs up some other way, the same as a thief and a robber, but he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the doorkeeper opens, and the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. And when he brings out his own sheep, he goes before them, and the sheep 
follow him, uh, for they know his voice. Yet they will by no means follow a stranger, but will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. Now, verse 6 says, Jesus used this illustration, but they did not understand the things which he spoke to them, which happens a lot. And so, verse 7, Jesus said to them again. He's like, all right, you didn't get that. Let me explain it to you this way. He says to them again, most assuredly, I say to you, I'm the door of the sheep. And all who ever came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. I am the door, and if anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief does not come except to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep, but a hireling. He who is not the shepherd, one who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf catches the sheep and scatters them. The hireling flees because he is a hireling and does not care about the sheep. I am the good shepherd, and I know my sheep, and I'm known by my own. And as the the Father knows me, even so I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. Now, Jesus makes it very clear here that his church belongs to him. Uh, But he says that there's hirelings. There There are men who pose as shepherds, and their objective is to steal the sheep away from him. And this is always the result that when someone runs the church like they own it, when somebody gets the bright idea that this is my church, inevitably what happens is that they lead the people away from Jesus and they lead the people to themselves and to their own agenda. It's exactly the opposite of the, the spirit of, of God, you know, the, the heart of our Lord and Savior. In, in Mark ten forty five, Jesus said, For even the Son of Man came not to be served but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. But what happens, and we see this over and over again, is that you, you get a guy or a group of people or a congregation or whatever it is, they get it into their hearts and minds that this church is ours and we're going to do what we're going to do with it. And, and they quickly, when they have that attitude, they get away from the heart of Jesus that says, I came to lay down my life for you, to give my life as a ransom for you. When I think that the, that the church is mine, well, I'm not going to lay down my life for you. What happens is I expect you to lay down your life for me. And this, this perversion takes place where the, the, the church is mine and I own it. And so now what happens is the sheep become a vehicle to my end and my end is me. And I want to be able to have, you know, to control the, the, the church and, and have it belong to me. And so this is exactly what the point that, that, uh, that Paul's making back here in our text And it's the first point of application, if you're taking notes, you might want to write alongside verse 9 there, that the church belongs to Jesus. The the church is Jesus' church. It's not the the denomination, the elders, the pastors, the congregations. You know, it's Jesus' church. Now, from time to time, I'll I'll have people that that come up to me, and they're they're like, "Why why isn't your name on the bulletin. I searched the bulletin, you know, front and back, everywhere. I can't find your name anywhere on the bulletin. I actually had, had one little old lady, she was mad at me because my name wasn't in the bulletin. Why isn't your name in the bulletin? And I said, well, whose name is on the front of the bulletin? She says, it says simply Jesus. I said, there you go. I said, it, it's his church. It's not my church. And, and this is, by the way, if you're wondering, how do I know whether or not the church that I'm attending uh, is a church that, that is you know, 
the leadership and everybody understands this church belongs to Jesus, well, there's a couple of points. There's, there's actually three, po- three key ones I want to talk about this morning. And the first one is, is that the, the, you look for a church where the leaders make Jesus' name great and they point everybody to him. And that's the, the example for me. It's like, you know, here at Reliance Church, I, we don't care, I don't care if you remember my name. I don't even care if you remember the church name. I want you to know that, that we're here to introduce you to Jesus Christ. And, and, and I go through these points full well understanding. Some of you are visitors. You're, not, you're, you're just here for us today, you know, with us today. And, and maybe you're shopping for a church and, and you'll find another church in the valley that you like better. And that's totally possible because we live in the Bible Belt of Southern California. And there's a lot of great churches in Temecula. Uh, and so what I say to you as your, as your little carry-out, as your lovely parting gift, is that you need to find a church where Jesus owns the church, that it's not owned by the people or by somebody with an agenda. So again, that first point is that you want to look for a church that, that points to Christ and that makes his name great, and it doesn't seek to make their own name great. John the Baptist said this in, in John chapter 3. He said, he, that is Jesus, must increase but I must decrease. And this is the heart and the attitude that you want to look for. Something else you want to look for, you want to look for a church where the leaders have a healthy accountability structure in place. Where there's a healthy accountability structure built into the church. You see, because this weird thing begins to happen where if I think I own the church, well, then I'm only accountable to me. Right, And so I don't have to worry about how I live or what I'm doing. And so what happens is you start to see compromise enter into a leadership who has an ownership mentality of the church. This church is mine. Versus if you find a church where the leaders have healthy accountability into the church, well, the reason they do is because they understand if their hearts and their mindset is to say, this is Jesus's church and it's not my church, well, then they understand, hey, because it's Jesus's church, I'm going to be really careful with it because, because this isn't mine. It doesn't belong to me. I had a friend of mine, he, he owns a Corvette and uh, a sweet car, and he says, do you want to drive it? I'm like, I'd love to drive that thing. And so, you know, he's, well, I get in, I'm driving, he's sitting next to me and, and I'm nervous. I'm driving this car and it's like a rocket, man. And, it, and I'm thinking, I'm, I'm going to wrap this thing around a pole, you know, and this isn't mine. And so, I mean, you know, if it was mine, that's one thing, you know, let's bring it on. But, but it's not mine. And I'm nervous. I'm like, I can't afford this car if I, if I do something wrong to this car. And he's, and he's sitting next to me, he's going, Get on it, man. Hit the gas. I'm like, I'm not going to get on it. I, I, I don't own this car. I can't afford this car. So I find myself driving the car really carefully. Well, because the, church, the, 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 the car isn't mine. It's the same thing, you know, with the church. If, if you go to a church where the leadership and, and everybody there understands, hey, this thing belongs to Christ, well, then there's going to be a healthy fear of the Lord to say, man, I'm going to give an account for what belongs to him. It's not unlike we prayed with these parents who dedicate their children to the Lord. They say, Lord, these children aren't mine. They belong to you. You've entrusted them to me. These are your children. And so I'm going to be very fearful of you in a very good and healthy way. And so that's something else you want to be looking for. You want to find 
that church that has a healthy accountability system put in place that understands this belongs to Jesus. Billy Graham said this. He says, there's three things that you never mess with as the leader of a church. He says, you don't mess with, well, any, any Christian really. He says, you don't mess with God's women. You don't mess with God's money. And you don't mess with God's glory. And I, that, it's always stood out to me and, and been good wisdom for me to, to take to heart because it speaks to the three main areas where men struggle. It's the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. And so, again, if you want to find a church where it actually does belong to Christ, you're going to see there leaders who have a healthy accountability, a healthy accountability structure in place. The third thing you want to look for, if you're looking for that, that church where it actually does belong to Christ, you want to find and will see a church where the teaching and the counsel that you receive is based firmly upon Scripture and not upon the wisdom of man. And again, why? Well, because the Scripture is, is the Word of God. The Bible says that Jesus is the Word that became flesh and dwelt among us. And so if I'm going to take care of His church, then I'm going to teach His Word. I'm not going to give you my own philosophy, my own wisdom. I'm going to give to you, well, the, the Word's the guy that actually owns the church. And so you want to be looking for that. We just went through this a couple of weeks ago. Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, And I, brethren, when I came to you, I did not come with excellence of speech or of wisdom, declaring to you the testimony of God. For I determined not to know anything among you except for Jesus Christ and Him crucified. So the first thing you need to know, if, if, as you're looking for, for a healthy church, and as you go through the text here to see how you have a healthy church, is that it's got to belong to Jesus. Second thing, second point that Paul makes is that even though God owns the church, he uses men to architect the work. You see there in verse 10, he says, according to the grace of God, which was given to me as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation and another builds on it, but let each one take heed how he builds on it. Over a hundred years ago uh, in his book, Power Through Prayer, Ian Bounds said this. He wrote that men are God's method, and while the church is looking for better methods, God is looking for better men. And the fact of the matter is, is that God has chosen in his sovereign will to perpetuate this work to build his church with and through godly men who will be submitted and surrendered to the Lordship of Christ and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Uh, we have examples of this throughout Scripture. You see the disciples uh, architecting churches in Jerusalem and Judea. You, you see Philip, uh, the, one of the first deacons who was raised up, architecting a church in, in Samaria by the leading of the Holy Spirit. You see the Apostle Paul uh, going to the ends of the earth and planting many churches. And over the last 2,000 years, you see many godly men who have been called out and go out to architect a church and do a work as the Spirit of the Lord would lead. We prayed today and last week, and you know as we've been just putting it in front of you, uh, just week by week, God's called us to plant churches. We know that, and we're so grateful that God has raised up now a team to go to Bountiful, Utah, to plant Reliance Bountiful. And so here what we have is a a man in, in Mike Mayo who's been called by God to go out and plant a work and architect a work as the Spirit of God would lead. But God always uses a man to do that work. 
Jesus said to his disciples in Acts 1.8, You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Now, here's what happens. If you get a guy who is surrendered to the Lord and who is filled with the Holy Spirit, and he steps out and says, God, I feel called by you to architect this work and to plant this particular church here. What you will see through that leadership is you'll see that uh, the money is well spent, that the people are well served, that things run efficiently, that people meet Jesus and grow in their faith, and generally good things happen when you have a guy who's architecting the work filled with the Spirit of God as the Lord would lead. Now, that's not saying it's a perfect church and that there's not going to be problems. Every church has its problems. But what it is to say is that that's the way God has chosen to work, and that's how he will, he will work to build his church. But if you get the wrong guy in place, and, and, and he's not architecting the church well, what you're ultimately going to see is that the building that he builds will ultimately collapse and people will be hurt and people will be wounded and the name of Christ will, will, be, will be blasphemed. It will be, it will be tarnished because of what this person has done. There's a, there's a famous image, and most of you have probably seen it, where uh, it's, the, um, it's the, the Tacoma Narrows Bridge. And it was built, and you see this bridge, and, it, and because of the way that it, it, was, it was architected, it was, architect, it, was, it was designed poorly, and so because it, it had poor architecture, this bridge begins to sway and, and flop, and ultimately you see the thing just crumble right there, and they got the whole thing on, on film. And a lot of churches are this way, where the, the, the person will they'll architect a work, and they'll build a church, and, and they don't build it, uh, as a good architect who's filled with the Holy Spirit. And so things will begin to, to flop and sway, and pretty soon the whole building will collapse. Now, what I want you to notice is what Paul says about his job here in verse 10. And here's where it gets a little awkward for me. Um, he says, According to the grace of God which was given to me as a wise master builder, I laid the foundation. Now, what Paul is saying is this. He says, look, he's telling his people, I'm a good architect. You can trust me. I know what I'm doing. This is not my first rodeo. I, I know how to build good churches. I know how to build systems, policies, procedures. I know how to develop leaders. I know how to manage money. I know how to find buildings to meet in and organize growth groups. And, you know, I know how to do all that. In fact, he doesn't just say this. What he says is, he says all that, and then he says, as a matter of fact, I'm really good at it. I'm a master builder. Now, at first glance, that sounds arrogant, doesn't it? And, you know, Paul's touching on something here that's really the horns of a dilemma for a pastor. Because, you know, the job description of the guy who will step up and lead a work, the guy who God calls to architect a work, the job description is that you actually architect the work. And so you really, you have one of two choices. You're either going to be good at it, or you're not going to be good at it, right? And if you're going to be good at it, then, then you know, are you going to tell your people you're not good at it? I mean, if I stood up here and told you, you know, I'm not a really good architect, you guys wouldn't come to the church. But if I stand up and go, you know what? This ain't my first rodeo. I know what I'm doing. I'm a good architect, and, you know, God's called me to do this work. Well, then you walk away, and you're like, he's arrogant. Look at that right there, right? And so there's really, it's not a good option. But, but here's the thing. The truth is, is that every church needs to have a leader. 
Every church needs to have a senior leader like Paul who can architect the church, who's able to think things through so you don't miss the second floor on the plans, uh, metaphorically or, 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 figure, or literally, you know? I mean, you need to have that kind of a leader, a leader who can chart a course, direct teams, establish systems, policies, procedures, a, a guy who knows how to draft the bylaws and org charts and, you know, just think through about indemnif- indemnification insurance. Say that three times fast. You got to have a guy who knows about indemnification insurance, a guy who knows how to assemble a staff and in his spare time knows, you know, how to teach a, a Sunday sermon and a, and a midweek Bible study and counsel people and, you know, sign contracts on, on you know, buildings and stuff like that. And if a guy's going to lead a church, he has to have these kind of qualities. And you know, people call the church, they're like, where's Pastor Ted? And Shirley's like, well, you know, he's having a nervous breakdown right now. Can he get back to you? <laughs> and yeah, it is a lot of stuff to do, but I want you to notice what Paul says. And this is the point. Paul says there in verse 10, yes, I'm a wise master builder, but he says, it's according to the grace of God. You see that? He says, according to the grace of God. And see, whatever God has called us to do, he's gifted and he's graced us to do it. It's not because of any merit of our own. It's simply because of the Lord's grace. And so when, when Paul says here, that's what I do and I'm good at it, he says, but it's, it's by the grace of God. And he adds, but others build on it. You see that? I, you know, I, I'm, I'm by the grace of God. I'm a wise master builder, and I've laid the foundation, but another builds on it. And guys, you see, that's you. That's where you come in. And, and the, the point that Paul's making and the point that, that I make to you is to say that if we're going to have a healthy church, what is absolutely critical is that every single one of us plays our part and our role in it. And so, you know, it starts with the pastor saying, this is what I'm called to do. And he steps out by faith to plant a church. And, and he says, God, by your grace, I'm going to do what you made me good at. And I'm just going to throw my life into it. And then someone else comes along and they build on it and they actually do the work. And so you guys come in and what you do is you say, hey, here's who I am and God's gifted me to do this. I had a, a, a gal come up to me at first service. She says, I'm a photographer and a graphic artist. Do you, need it? Do you need that help? I'm like, yes. Can you sign your name and phone number in blood and we will call you and we'll get you plugged in? Do you have any idea how much we use graphic artists? You know, and so the thing is, is that God calls different people to do different things in the body of Christ. And a healthy church is when the people gather together and say, hey, this is what God's called me to do. And by the grace of God, I'm going to do it. We had uh, our VBS program this week. We had over 200 kids sign up for our VBS program this, this week. It was awesome. And um, we had people that were, that were working. Their, we had like 75 volunteers. Guys took vacation to come out. The thing started at 8 o'clock in the morning. What were you thinking, Darius? 8 o'clock in the morning? I mean, we had to be here at like 6.30 in the morning to set up and everything. But everybody faithfully throughout the week and these kids coming and, and, you know, dozens of kids getting saved, incredible stuff. And, you know, we have, here, here's Darius, God bless, the man works 60 hours a week and in his spare time, he puts together a VBS program. 
I mean, you know, you see him there all day long. He's there first thing in the morning. He's working till, till you know, 2 o'clock in the afternoon. Then he goes home to do his job. And when he gets to bed about 2 or 3 o'clock in the morning and gets up a couple of hours later, and here's a guy who just says, you know what? This is what God's gifted me to do. And by the grace of God, I'm going to do it. We had Corey Yancey, who's involved in, in uh, the VBS program two weeks ago. She lost her baby in the fifth month of pregnancy. And here she is throughout the whole week of the VBS program, pouring her heart and her life and her guts into those kids. And she, she's got a, a smile and a countenance. Everybody who's serving is just looking, knowing what Corey has been through and just saying, oh, that, that's incredible. And, and I'm so inspired just seeing how you use your gifts and how you're plugged in. I did a, a funeral this week for, for a, a gal, the mother of Shelly Greenwood. Shelly uh, serves in our children's ministry. She actually handles our sk- children's min- ministry scheduling. And um, a year and a half ago, she moved her mom in with her to, to live with her and to care for her mom in her remaining you know, last few months. And, and so I'm talking to Shelly, and I said, you know, we're looking for a position in the children's ministry for scheduling. I got to have somebody to schedule the kids. Would you consider this position? And she said, on one condition, you don't pay me. I'm like, you're hired. You're, I love you. You're wonderful. No, but she comes in and she's faithful and she pours herself out. And see, guys, a healthy church, a healthy building is when every single one of us, we don't think more highly of ourselves than we ought to, but what we do is we step up and we say, this is what I'm gifted to do. And, and God has given me this gift and there's a stewardship connected to it. And just like these kids, they're a gift, and you have a stewardship responsibility. You need to raise this child in the knowledge and the, and the admonition of the Lord. Train up a child in the way he should go. And when he's old, he'll not depart from it. And, and, and the Lord says, this is my gift to you, but you better take care of it. And in, and in many ways, for all of us, we come to church as a body, as a group of believers, and as we assemble... Well, man, if it's an unhealthy church, we're going to come in and we're going to say, who's teaching, who's singing, and who's going to wait on me? But if we want to have a healthy body, we come together and we say, hey, you know what? That guy is just doing what God's called him to do. God bless him. He's doing the best he can. And there's other people that come along and they're building on it. And they're doing the best they can. Are we perfect? No. Can you find someone else that can do it better? I guarantee it. But when a group of people get together like that and they live their lives in such a way where they're just giving God what he's gifted to them, they just give it back to him and say, Lord, I'm, I'm doing this, I'm using this, I'm honoring you, I'm just seeking you. It's an amazing thing. And it's pure grace. It's pure grace, isn't it? Because really, I know who I am, right? And you know who you are. And Satan is right there, and he's like, you can't do that. You know who you are, right? And he whispers in our ear, you're such... You go into that church and go serve, really, you? (laughs) And you're like, yeah. And I know who I am. We know who we are. And it's the grace of God. The grace of God says, yeah, you're a blow it. Come on. There's room for one more, man. Just come in. Use your gift. Get plugged in. And it's this beautiful thing that we see where where we just serve. We get... we just get to do it. We moved uh, Mike uh, and Aaron yesterday. We packed up the, the moving truck. 
And uh, it was so funny. I had ev- all kind, everything out on, on, you know, as we're bringing it out and packing in the truck. And we've got guys in there, and they're, they're packing all the stuff in the truck, and they got a system to it and all. And I'm like, we're never getting all this stuff in. And we, we got everything in, and it was that we got the mattresses finally in. We get Nate, you know, big guys pushing this mattress in to be able to shut the door. We got everything put in there. But in the process of packing everything up, uh, Dan Strick brings his son, Nolan. And his son, Nolan, God bless him, he, he pretty much, he's just in the way. I mean, he's just, he's just, really. But, but he was, had a smile from ear to ear. He was so happy that he could help. And every time we're picking up something to carry up, he's running to grab the other side. God bless this little guy, man, there he is. And he's just every, you know, you go to go up the ramp. Nolan, I need to get up the ramp, son. Then he moves out of the way and then you go up. Then he runs up the ramp behind. Nolan, get off the ramp. And I, I feel so often churches like that, really, where we're like, we come in and we're like, I get, and God's like, get out of the way, just move, you know. But he lets us do it. He says, okay, you know what? Talk to that guy. You know what? Share the gospel with that person. You know what? Change a diaper in the children's ministry. You know, come to VBS and do, and, and we're just like Nolan, man. We come to church and it's just like, oh, I get to do this. It's awesome. And I got no business being here. But God in his grace, he lets me be here. And I'm like, thank you, Lord. This is amazing. And I, and I, I want to ask you the question, because Paul says here that each one builds on it. But he says, but let us, we need to take heed how we build. We need to take heed how we build. And, and I, so I just ask you the question, how are you building? H- how has God gifted you? What talents has he given you? What abilities has he given you? Listen, why has God brought you to Reliance Church? Why are you here? And, and you know, no, this is not a commercial for, hey, we need help and come get plugged in. Yes, we do need help, but I'm not gonna beg you into it. I'm just gonna simply tell you, that that's the way the body of Christ is supposed to work. And if you guys don't do it, God will get somebody else who will. But he lets you be involved. And, and I just asked you the question, how's God gifted you? And are you using that gift? Because the need is great. And if we will step out in obedience and say, God, here I am, use me, he will. He'll blow your mind. And things will happen that you just, you just won't, well, you just, you would never imagine. One of our guys here, he, he got saved almost exactly a year ago. He was at a, the Calvary Chapel Men's Conference, and he gave his heart to Christ, and he and his wife started coming here because they told him, listen, you need to get plugged into a local church. Here's, here's a local Calvary Chapel that's, that's near you. And, and so he got, you know, they referred him to us, and he started coming. And he and his wife called me, and they said, would you meet us for, for counseling? Uh, and we just want to know how to grow as Christians. I'm like, yeah, that's awesome. And so I meet with him and I just start telling him, well, in the past year, God's done this incredible work in his life. He feels a calling to be a pastor. And he's plugged in and he's growing and he's serving. He was part of our church plant prayer group. He was really intricately involved in things happening there to get the guys out to Bountiful. He's praying. He feels like God's calling him ultimately to maybe plant a church himself. And, and he's, he's not ready yet, but he... God's doing this work. And I was talking to him just the other night. And I said, dude, how long has it been since, since we were first meeting? He goes, it's been almost exactly a year. And it blew my mind. I said, can you believe what God has done in your heart in a year? He goes, I can't believe it. 
I said, imagine what's, where you're going to be next year. And by the grace of God, next year, he, he's, he's going to be doing so much more. And the incredible thing is, is that for us, we need to take heed how we build, and we need to have the heart that says, look, as God is building this building, I can be part of it or not, and the choice is up to me. And so Paul says, he continues in verse 11, and he says, for no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. And what he's saying is this. He's saying at the bottom of everything, it has to be Jesus, or you're just wasting your time. See, you can have the most incredible VBS. You can have the best VBS program in the state. You can have the best children's ministry, the best youth ministry. You can have rock star worship. You can have incredible preaching. Imagine what that would be like. And you, you, I mean, you can have all that stuff. But if Jesus isn't the foundation, then it's just a flat waste of time. Turn to Matthew chapter 7. We're going to verse 21 there in Matthew chapter 7. Matthew 7, verse 21, this is Jesus speaking. He says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name. And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. He continues, Matthew seven twenty four. Therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and the, they beat on that house. And it did not fall, for it was founded on the rock. But everyone who hears these sayings of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat on that house, and it fell, and great was its fall, Jesus says. And so it's critically important that whatever it is that we build is built upon Jesus Christ. And there's men all over the place building their churches on anything but Jesus Christ. There's churches, I'm sad to say, that you go in and the Word of God is never taught. The Bible is never open. And, and it's all about Jesus. He has to be the foundation of everything we do. Now, back in 1 Corinthians in chapter 3, in verse 12, Paul continues... He says, not only is the foundation essential, he says, but the materials that we use, they're also important. He says in verse 12, now if anyone builds on this foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become clear for the day will declare it because it will be revealed by fire and fire will test each one's work of what sort it is. Verse 14, he says, if anyone's work, uh, which he has built on it, endures, he'll receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved, yet so as through fire. What he's saying there is that there are many who are going to wind up in the smoking section of heaven. 
that it's like you got enough Jesus to get you in, but then from there on out, everything you built on was worthless. And so you got in by the skin of your teeth, but now you built and you use these materials that, that were based on the wisdom of men, that were based on, on things that, that aren't eternal, things that aren't of faith. They're, they're built of things of the flesh. And what's going to happen is you're going to wind up, you're going to go into heaven. All those things are going to be burned up and you're going to be there. And, and God's going to be like, congratulations, you made it. You put yourself out over there. You're still smoking a little bit. Everything else got burned up, man. You're buck naked and there you are. You just barely got in by the skin of your teeth. And truly, that's, that's the picture here. And, and he says something interesting. He says, the day is going to declare it. You guys all, you know, remember in September 11th and Twin Towers going down and there was a report in 2002 that just went through to say, why did the Twin Towers collapse? Yeah, the planes flew into it and, and all, but, you know, structurally they, they should not have collapsed. And it's still hotly debated and, and there's no real, you know, consensus that's, that's, that's been settled on, but the most data seems to suggest that the problem was that the material that they used, it's the material that they refer to as SFRM, it's sprayed, uh, fi- sprayed fire retardant material, that the SFRM that they sprayed on the, the structural steel, that it was, it was a poor material that they used. And so over time, it sloughed off and they didn't get everything coated. And so then when the fire burned so intensely that the steel was exposed and that it was, the steel failed under the intense heat. And if, if that sprayed fire retardant material had been of good material, then those, likely those towers would not have collapsed. Now think about that illustration for a second. What was it that showed that the material was faulty? What exposed it? Fire. And that's exactly what Paul says here. He goes, the day is coming and the fire is going to expose what you built your life on. And I will tell you guys that I see this all the time. I see men come into my office and they're weeping because their wife has left them for another man. And we, we kind of trace down and we figure out, and dude, what went wrong? And we look at what they were building their marriage with, the material that they were building their marriage with, and we come to find out, you know what? You built with faulty material. And the day of fire came, that day of trial, and that guy at the office, and there he was, and he was, he was presenting your wife with this sinful opportunity, and you lost your wife because you built with the wrong material. I see guys, they're like, my, I don't know what's going on. My teenager, he just, he, he just went sideways. He went south on me. And now, I mean, I've, it feels like I've lost him. And, what, and we follow it on. We trace through and we look at what was the material that you built on. And we come to find out, dude, that material, it's wood, hay, and stubble. And the day of fire came and it burned up. And so I ask you the question today, what, what material? What material are you building on today? Because the day of fire is coming. The day of testing is coming. You're either going to build on the man-made, the man-wisdom, the man-centered, the this is what I can see and this is the philosophy of the world and, and all, or you're going to build on the things of God. And the Bible says whatever's not of faith is sin. And that is the thing that on that day of trial, that when it comes, 
You're going to find out what it was made of and what it's not made of. Paul continues, verse 16, he says, Do you not know that you're the temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? He says, you, 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 you're, you're building with all of this stuff. Don't you realize that you're the temple of God? Do you not realize that God dwells in you? What are you building that temple with? Verse 17, he says, If anyone defiles the temple of God, God will destroy him. For the temple of God is holy, which temple you are. In verse 18, he says, Let no one deceive himself. If anyone among you seems to be wise in this age, let him become a fool that he may may become wise. I know you're living there in Corinth and it's all about the wisdom and all about the, you know, the latest philosophers so close to Athens and Greece there and, you know, and all. But if you're going to either build on the wisdom of men or the wisdom of God. He says in verse 19, For the wisdom of this world is foolishness with God. For it is written, he catches the wise in their own craftiness. And again, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise, that they are futile. Therefore, let no one boast in men, for all things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas. You know, hey, I want Paul, I want Apollos, I want Cephas. All things are yours. You know, it's not about the men. It's, it's, about, it's about just being abandoned and, and used by God as, as his grace would dictate. He said, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or things present or things to come, all are yours and you are Christ's and Christ is God's. Paul says, listen, we can build on men. Totally an option. You totally do that. You want to build on man's wisdom. You want to build on man's plan. You want to build on man's agenda. You can totally do that. But don't you ever forget you're the temple of God. If you want to build on the things of man, you're going to see everything that you worked for just smoked. You can waste your life if you want to. But what a waste. He says, we can build on Christ with good materials and a godly plan and godly leaders. The choice is up to you. He says, you're the temple of God. Peter said much the same thing. Peter chapter 2, verses 4 and 5. Peter says, Coming to him, to Jesus, as to a living stone, rejected indeed by men, but chosen by God, and precious, you also, that's us as the body of Christ, us as Reliance Church, individually, he says, you also, as living stones, are being built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, to, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God, through Jesus Christ. And I want you guys to hear the big idea as we come to a, conclu- uh, a conclusion right now. Here's the big idea of today's message. And, and, that, and that is this. That we're all in this thing together. We're, we're, all, we're all in this together. And our relationship, guys, it's built on trust. We have, a, we have a trust relationship as we're part of building this building. You guys trust me as your pastor to, to be a man who's going to be filled with the Holy Spirit, who's going to be submitted to the Lord, who's going to be someone who says, Lord, this is your church. It's not mine. This is something that, that you have entrusted to me. And, and, 
And having entrusted this to me, Lord, I'm going to seek you often. I'm going to be in prayer. I'm going to be filled with the Spirit. And I am going to say, with all humility, I'm going to say, yes, this is the role that I'm called to do. I am called to architect this work. That is what God has called me to do. And God, by your grace, I'm going to do it. And I may not be the sharpest knife in the drawer or the best guy for the job, but I'm the one you called for this job. And so that's what I'm going to do. And you guys are trusting me when you come here. When you write your tithe check, you're trusting that the leadership and I are are those that are saying, this is God's church, and we want you to know Jesus, and you're trusting that I'm going to do that. You're trusting that I'm going to be a good steward of of the the money that God blesses this church with and that every penny is going to be spent in accordance with his will for the furtherance of his kingdom for his local body here. And in this trust relationship, we're also trusting you. We're trusting that you are going to use your gifts and your talents in service to the Lord, that you're going to come here and when you step up and you say, hey, I want to you know, open my home to, to host a home Bible study. We're trusting you that, that you are going to, to take care of being the best host that you can be, that you are going to fix your house in such a way, knowing, hey, not only are members of Reliance Church coming here and I'm hosting them, But Jesus is coming here, and I want to host my home. I want to prepare my home like Jesus himself is coming, because he is. And and so we have a trust that that's how the heart and the mind, that you're going to pour your guts into what you do in service for the Lord. Whatever you do, the Bible says, do it with all your heart as unto the Lord. And we're trusting that you're going to do that. You step up and say, I want to serve in the children's ministry. We're trusting that you're going to take care of our kids with all the love and care that you can possibly extend to them. And you guys are trusting us as you bring your kids that we're going to do background checks and that we're going to fingerprint people if it's, you know, all these things. And we do make sure that we're, we're doing that. And so we have this trust relationship that, that we enjoy one with another. And isn't that what family does? Family works and trusts one another. Together, we're building this spiritual house. And we're doing it as a family. And, and I'll tell you guys this, that you, my best friends are in this church. And, and God, I mean, he blesses us with, with people that, I'm like, I have the best friends in the world. And God, I love what you're doing here. And we get to enjoy fellowship with one another. And I was talking to somebody in the church and, and you know, we're, I was sharing with them that early on I had this heart and this desire. When we were planting this church, I'm like, I know God's called me to plant churches and we're going to plant many churches. And, and, and as I'm praying through that and God's confirming it in my heart, God's warning me and he's saying, yeah, you're going to plant many churches and you're going to send some of your best friends away and it's going to be tearful goodbyes. And, and you're going to have to say goodbye to your best people as they go off to plant a church. And, and, I, and I said, yes, I know. And then the time comes and we do and we say goodbye to these guys. And I'm like, doggone it. I, why, why are there so many goodbyes in, in the body of Christ? And the Lord speaks my heart and he goes, because the, the, there's a work that needs to be done. And it's all about, you know, I got to take this person here and they're growing up here, but they're, you know, how you you're a parent, your kids grow up and, you know, and, and they, they leave the nest and, and there's that part of you that is like, yes. And then there's that part of you that's like, no, come back, come stay here. And I'm like, oh man, I mean, we're, we say goodbye to people. Why is it always about saying goodbye? Why can't we all just be together? 
And the Lord said, because that would be heaven. Heaven's when we all get to be together. And we all get to stay together. Amen? And I just want to close what I'm, what I'm saying here with this final illustration. We're going to partake of communion together. But we're talking about building the body. We're talking about the, the role that God's called each one of us to fulfill. And as we come together, it's a matter of us saying, look, we're trusting each other to do what God's called each other to do because in that, we're going to find our completion and our fulfillment. That as you do what God's called you to do and as I do what God's called me to do, well, then we are the body of Christ fulfilled. And that we can't all be the same part of the body that it requires all of us. Jimmy Durante in World War II, he was asked to be part of a a, a USO uh, tour. And there was one particular show that he, he just could not make. And he told him, guys, I'm, I so desperately want to be here for, for, the, for these Marines, but I, but I can't be there. And, um, and so they said, please, just anything you can do in your schedule. And so he, he worked his schedule around as best he could, and, and he said, I can give you five minutes. That's all I can squeeze into my schedule. And so they gratefully said, we'll take five minutes. And so he came, and there he's a comedian, and he's doing his thing, and, the, and everybody is just loving it, and they're clapping like crazy. And so five minutes turns into 10 minutes, and 10 minutes turns into 20 minutes. 20 minutes turns into 40 minutes. He's there almost an hour before he goes off the stage, and the guy gratefully but in shock behind backstage, he says, I thought you only could squeeze five minutes into your schedule. And Jimmy Durante said, I could only squeeze five minutes into my schedule, but let me show you why I couldn't leave. And he took him to that curtain, and there from backstage, they peered out from behind the curtain, and there in the front row were two Marines, and one had lost his right arm, and one had lost his left arm. And as everybody would clap, these two men were clapping together. And with tears in his eyes, Jimmy Durante said, there's no way that I could leave. And I would tell you guys this, that we are the body of Christ. And you, you come and you just, you say, Lord, I, I ain't the sharpest knife in the drawer. I'm not the best one maybe for the job. But I, but I, can, I can put forth the effort. I can, I can clap. And God says, I'll use you. Because you know what? I'm going to weave the body of Christ together in such a way that what you lack, I'm going to supply it in somebody else. And that as every single one of you together does your part, well, the people of Temecula are going to see Jesus Christ high and lifted up. And that's something that's so attractive that the world needs. They need to see that the body of Christ who loves Jesus Christ and who puts themselves out and makes themselves submitted and just available to that work which God alone can do. It's an irresistible force. And I would say for us, Reliance Church, I want us to be that people. A place where Jesus is high and lifted up and where we come and we use our gifts and our talents just in, in an offering to him. And we say, you know what? One, one plants, another waters, one, one builds, another builds on, on what he's built. And together, 